So from verse 11, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it's known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Um, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Anna, thanks very much for reading. And do keep your Bibles open and you've got a handout on your table so that you can follow along. And today we are considering the, this whole issue of aim or focus or purpose. Or what is our aim? And here, having a clear singular aim, I think it's really important for any success of any company. Uh, clear aim, it, well, it focuses the mind. It helps us to understand why we're doing what we're doing. It's so important that I'm bringing back um, the call out the company quiz. Uh, that we've been having. Okay, so I'm going to read uh, your, the aim of these companies and see whether you can identify your own company. Uh, here's the first aim. It unleashes the power of people, businesses, and brands to move society forward. Yeah. It's profit, exactly. Here's the next one. Uh, our purpose is to build trust in society and to PwC is to solve important problems. Uh, here's the next one. Our aim is to care for the collection to enhance it for future generations. The National Gallery. And finally, we are dedicated to securing the future of every one of our policyholders. <laughs> this insurance, uh, for, uh, not the, the life, Rossi life. There you go. Okay. And um, for some of your companies, I tried to look up, there was no aim for your companies and that's not great. And having a good and clear aim. That's really important for success. And we've been saying over the past few weeks, if you've been with, with us in our series, and if, if not, uh, here's to kind of let us know what we're on about in this series, is to persuade you to reorient your lives around the gospel, uh, to not only think that the gospel is important, but to reorient your lives, the so decisions that you make, um, life choices, how you spend your time, your money, to reorient it around gospel work. Uh, to help you see that gospel work is far more significant then you're eight to five. But here's the question. What is the aim of gospel work? What is your aim as you get behind the gospel? What is our aim here at Covent Garden Talks? 
And after all, there are a variety of aims that different Christian ministries have around the world. Uh, it could be to, to gain a following. And in one sense, we, we do want people to come, uh, but is that our singular aim? Or on the other hand, it could be we want to build a community of people, um, Christians perhaps, uh, who work in this area. And in one sense, that's good and that's true. And we do want uh, for many of you to get to know one another, support and encourage each other. Uh, but is that our aim? Or perhaps uh, you might describe our aim as uh, better Bible handling skills, um, helping you to read the Bible for yourselves or helping you to, to pray. And again, those are really excellent things. And lots of what we do here is to, to try to put the Bible in your hand, to equip you to read. But is that our aim? What is our aim? Is it for intellectual pursuit? Is it to stem the tide of secularism in this society? Is it to reclaim the Christian heritage of this country? What is the aim of gospel work? And for every lunchtime, um, our goal is not really to hear from myself, uh, but to hear from the living God who speaks through his word. And he will tell us what the aim of his work is all about. And so we'll go to 2 Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians, the, the Corinthian church um, had a real uh, tricky relationship uh, with Paul, uh, Paul the Apostle and his, his work. And you need to imagine that uh, in the church, um, other teachers or false teachers have infiltrated the church. And bit by bit, uh, people in the church were being swayed by these false apostles. And Paul, he, he's explaining uh, his work, his ministry himself, to persuade the church back to himself. And again, if you were with us over the past few weeks, so he, we saw what Paul was doing as he explained the ministry that he was involved in. Uh, we saw the achievement of the gospel. It, it involves the unveiled access to the glory of God. Uh, we saw the appearance of the gospel work. It looks like a treasure uh, in a clay jar. It looks weak. But today, if you like, we come to the climax. We come to the aim. Uh, what is the aim of gospel work? And my hope and prayer at uh, this lunchtime is that you see it to be so significant that you'll be willing to reorient your lives around it. So what is the aim of gospel work? Well, you're following the handout. We're on our first point. The aim is all about persuading you. It's all about you and not about self-commendation. I look at verse 11 of our passage today. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are known to God, and I hope is known also to your conscience, we are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what's in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right minds, it is all for you. It is for you. You see Paul's point? Uh, my work, my ministry is not about me. It's not about self-commendation. It's not about gaining a following. It's all about you. It's all about you. And if you try to understand the situation, it's a quite a complex situation that Paul's experiencing. You see, the false teachers, they've, as I said, they infiltrated the church. And these are the guys, I think, in verse 12, those are the ones who boast in outward appearance, a look on the surface of things. And Paul, he wants the church not to boast in those false apostles, but to boast about him, and not them, but him. And so on the surface of things, it looks like a numbers game. Now, Paul, he's trying to gain a following. But he's saying, it is not about me. We are an open book. 
Our conscience is clear. What we are is known to God. We are not commending ourselves. Rather, he says, this is all for you, each and every one of you. It is not selfish, but self-giving. It's not inward, but outward. It is not self-commendation, but for you. But why? You know, how can Paul so boldly say, I'm not doing this for myself, but for you? And it's worth flagging uh, at this point uh, what Paul says next. Uh, it's quite profound. Okay? It's quite complex. So it's worth listening carefully. And Paul, he's sharing his thinking about how you deal with um, anxiety that comes from comparing yourself with other people. Uh, this is the death of, of comparison or the death of seeking approval of others. Uh, the death of sideways glancing or comparing yourself with others are struggling with insecurity. And so he gives us two reasons how he deals with that. Uh, the first is this. Paul is not controlled by self-love, but he's controlled by the love of Christ. I look at verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Uh, what's going on there? Paul, he uses this idea of uh, union with Christ uh, to explain uh, why he has this love for other people. Here's a really classic illustration uh, that people often use. Uh, this book uh, refers to Jesus. I wasn't meant to close the page. <laughs> this book is uh, meant to refer to Jesus and this pen is you. And if you're in him, uh, you're, in, you're in him, uh, where the book goes, uh, you go. So if Jesus dies, uh, you die with him. If he's alive, you're alive in him. Uh, you are united to Christ. And so that's what he says in verse 14. Look at verse 14 again. But we have concluded this, that one has died for all, that is all who are in Christ, therefore all have died. And um, this union with Christ, uh, the implications is profound because the love for yourself, it dies when you died with Christ. And when you died with him, you died to loving yourselves. Uh, verse 15a, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves. And do you see that point? When you're in Christ, when he dies, you die to yourself. But more than that, in him, you are alive. You have a new life. Look at verse 15b. Those who no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Again, remember, uh, you are in him or in the book. When Christ is raised, you are raised with him. And so you are alive with him and for him. And you're alive to his love for others. And so Christ's love for other people, uh, that replaces Paul's love for himself. And so what is he saying? He's saying that this natural self-seeking love of mine, uh, this natural self-commending nature of mine, it died with my, my whole self when I died with Christ. But when I was raised with Christ, I was given a new love, a love of Christ, a love for others. And that love, that love controls me. And so Paul says, I'm here for you. I'm not here to commend myself. But well, firstly, he's controlled by the love of Christ. 
Secondly, he, he regards everyone as dead. He regards everyone as dead. Look at verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Again, it's the union idea. In Christ, if you have died, uh, the book has died, and you're in him, you died with him. Um, the fleshly way of regarding people, uh, the earthly way of regarding people, that has died. How can I impress you? How can I convince you to like me? How can I gain your approval? Or whether it's in the office, or in any social circle, or sometimes even in church. Uh, this fleshly, superficial way of regarding people. Paul says, no longer, no longer. Verse 16, we regard no one according to the flesh. You see what Paul is saying? This is the death of sideway glancing or the death of approval seeking. Paul says, I don't need approval from people because I'm dead. Dead people don't need approval from others. But more than that, I have a new life. I'm alive. I have a new love, the love of Christ. It controls me. The old love for myself has died. The new love has replaced it. I'm dead and alive in Christ. And so this is why the aim of gospel work is not about yourself. It's not about the bottom line. It is not about self-commendation or self-promotion. It's not about being clever or being intellectual of fulfilling your potential. It is definitely not making sure there's an audience here each Thursday lunchtime. It is all about you. It's all about each and every one of you. About others, it's all about people. And really, I, I guess you can sort of sense the contrast about what we're doing here and, and your companies, right? Because in the corporate world, it's ultimately all about the bottom line, uh, the profit margin. I know we, we throw it around the world as service-orientated or customer-centric, but the reason is always because of the bottom line. Because being customer-centric is best for the business. It's always about the bottom line. Uh, we say the company is always about people, and that's true. But again, if people are not performing, uh, they get the boot. It's always, it's always about the bottom line, the shareholder value. But you see who God is. God, he doesn't need cash reserves. He doesn't need anything. He owns everything. And so when he gives to you, he really does it for you. It is for people. And that's why being part of the gospel work is just beautiful. It's genuine. Um, it's really for, for people. There's no pretense. There's no underhand means. There's no ulterior motives. And so we are here not to gain a following, and not to build a reputation, and not about the bottom line, and yes, we don't get it perfectly right all the time. And it's horrible when Christian ministries get it wrong. But whether you're new here or a regular, this is all for you. It's all about you. But what is the aim of gospel work? It's all about persuading you, the people, and not about self-commendation. But what is our aim for people? It is about for, it's for people, but what is our aim for each and every one of you? 
And that brings us to our second point. It is all about you being reconciled to God. Look at verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them, but entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So this is the aim of any sort of Christian ministry. This is the focus, its purpose, its, its climax, its apex. And it's all about persuading people to be reconciled with their maker. But the rebellious will against the creator God, and it's all about reconciling people back to God. Now, verse 20b again, we implore you, or we implore you on the behalf of, God, of Christ, be reconciled to God. Well, how does uh, God reconcile the world to himself? Again, here's another classic illustration. At this time, the book is not Jesus, but your sin. And this is you, my hand here. And there's a, your sin is the thing that prevents you from having a relationship with God. But what does Jesus do on the cross? Well, he takes the punishment. He takes our sin so that we can have free access and a relationship with God. On the cross, Jesus pays for every one of your sin. And so he does not count your transgression against you. And so if you trust in Jesus, all your sin is paid for by him. Verse 21. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so this is what uh, gospel work at its heart is all about, is reconciling people to their maker. Where do we fit? Well, our job is to speak, to speak the message, to appeal, to persuade, to implore people to come back into relationship with their creator. And verse 19 again, he's entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ and we, we are making his appeal through us. Our job is to speak. Let's try to summarize what we've seen so far. Well, what is the aim of gospel ministry? Uh, is you, each and every one of you, are people. It's all about you. But more than that, it's about you to be reconciled to God. Because for your sake, um, his son was made sin, so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. And if you're not yet trusting in Jesus for yourself, or will you be reconciled to your maker? Or will you come back into relationship with God? And so this is the work that we are persuading you to be part of. You see, the issue at hand, uh, the real battle that is going on, uh, it's not your next project deadline. It's not that frustrating boss. It is not that soured relationship. The real battle is God and his broken will. A world ripped apart from its creator, uh, rejecting, willfully ignoring its creator. It is a travesty. It is an utter travesty that the world does not know its own maker. And we are so used to this perversion that we accept it that the world does not know God. 
it is an utter travesty. And the battle as well is against the God of this world. The God of this world who is actively veiling the minds of unbelievers, from seeing, helping them to see the knowledge of the gospel of Christ. Uh, we're trapping them in lies and deceit. But that is the battle. And the truth is every one of us uh, will face the judgment seat on that final day. Each one of us rightfully receiving what is due to us. And so we are in the moment where God has stepped into the world. And for my sake and for your sake, the son has become sin. Sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. No more strangers, no more rebels, but family. And so this is what gospel work at its heart is all about. It is about you being reconciled with your maker. And so that's um, why uh, Common Ground Talks are here every Thursday, uh, because our aim is to make Jesus known to people who work in this area. And so for you and your officers to speak about him is not here to gain a following, but not here to be liked or to seek the approval of others. It's not ultimately about the Bible and Christian community, though those things are really good. But we are all about reconciling God, sorry, people with their maker. And again, that's why you know, I'm, I'm trying to persuade you that this is worth reorientating your lives around. And this, this persuasion here is it's not uh, rhetoric or, or, or clever speech, but to help you understand what God is really doing in this world today, uh, to grow and expand your understanding of what the gospel is all about. And the reality of uh, the work here at Lunchtime Talks is that people move around a lot. Um, there are lots of people who move into this area and some if at some point you will move out of this area or perhaps when you change companies or your, your office moves but the point is like wherever you go or any of us goes as long as you have the mindset that you recognize that this is what god is doing in this world but that's enough because wherever you go oh, you'll find out ways to be serving him now what is the aim of gospel work the heart of it is to reconcile people people to their maker. Well, next week, uh, given all that we've been saying, uh, next week is decision time. I look at chapter 7, verse 1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bring holiness to completion in the fear of God. Well, if you want to find out more, you've got to come back next week. Why don't I pray all time? For our sake, he made himself to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our Father, we praise you that you are a giver and not a taker. We praise you that you have given your only begotten Son, that as we believe in him, we may not perish and have eternal life. And we pray that more and more might we reorient our lives around this great new covenant ministry that you have given us to do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.